Thank you for listening to the Inland Hills podcast. Through September 4th, we're in a series called At the Movies, featuring popular films the whole family will love. If you're not currently attending in-person services, now is the perfect time to jump in. Head to inlandhills.com slash plan a visit for a peek at the remainder of the series and a video of the in-person experience. Unfortunately, due to copyright issues, we're not able to share the film clips that are shown on Sundays in our podcast, so attending live is the best possible experience during this series. As a result, Josh's teachings will have brief gaps between segments, but we hope you enjoy the podcast, and we hope to see you soon. Five miles outside of Dyersville, Iowa, next to an old farmhouse, there's a beautiful baseball diamond in the middle of a cornfield. Every year, over 100,000 people travel from all over the United States to see the field, to walk it with their sons and their daughters, their grandsons and their granddaughters. The location is so popular, in fact, that Major League Baseball held a game near the field in August of 2021 as the New York Yankees faced off against the Chicago White Sox, the first Major League Baseball game to ever be played in Iowa. So what's the draw? Why do people travel so far to see a baseball diamond that's probably similar in size and appearance to thousands of other baseball diamonds that would be closer to where they live? In 1989, Universal Pictures released the movie Field of Dreams, starring Kevin Costner, James Earl Jones, Amy Madigan, and Ray Liotta as the great shoeless Joe Jackson. It was a movie about baseball and about dreams coming true and about redemption and about faith. But perhaps above all these things, Field of Dreams was a movie about regret it was a film that resonated deeply in our culture, so deeply, in fact, that 100,000 people a year continued to visit the baseball diamond where much of it was filmed over 30 years after its release. As you experience Field of Dreams today, I want to invite you to consider why this movie has been so beloved. Yes, it's a film that embraces sentimentality and sappiness at times, but perhaps its true staying power is simply this. We all understand what it's like to feel regret, to wish more than anything that we could take that thing back that we said, have another chance to reconcile that relationship. We wish we would have made a different decision, or spent more time with our loved ones, or spent less time feeling anxious. When the major characters in this film begin talking through the specifics of their past they wish they could change, their words become a time machine that transports us back to our own regrettable decisions. Today's message is for every person who wishes they would have chosen differently, for everyone who would happily take a do-over on any number of decisions they once made. We each have a history. We've all made decisions we aren't proud of. My hope for you today is that you might understand the freedom that Jesus gives us from the shackles of our past. I recently watched this movie with my nine-year-old son, Jack. He'd never seen it before. This scene is so iconic, and the voice Ray hears in the field has been such a part of our national pop culture for the last 30 years that it almost feels cliche. But he'd never heard of it before, and when the voice started, if you build it, he will come. Jack just looked at me with wide eyes and said, well, that's creepy, and it would be. Ray's biography is interesting at the beginning of this film because so many of us can relate to it. He seems like a good guy overall, and yet by his own admission, so many of the choices he made when he was a young man were reactionary. Why? Well, because this is part of what it means to be young. For lots of us, our teen and young adult years are spent testing our limits, pushing the boundaries, and most importantly, doing whatever we can to infuriate our parents. Jesus had followers. At the age of 30, Jesus began a public ministry, and he chose 12 different young men to be in his inner circle. As was customary for a rabbi in his day, these would have been younger men. The idea for a first century rabbi is that you would pour into young men so that by the time that they reach 30, they might become a rabbi themselves and teach others. 
which means most of these guys were probably under the age of 20, with Peter, who was already married, perhaps the lone exception. Peter was perhaps in his early 20s. But as we see in these young guys, like some of that youthful exuberance and rebellion that we all experience, we can see in them too. In Luke 9, there's a story of Jesus entering into a Samaritan village, but they don't really want to hear what he has to say. They don't welcome him. So two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, ask a totally appropriate question. Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? And Jesus is like, no, <laughs> we're just, we're just going to go to the next town. Over and over in the Gospels, we see the same spirit of youthful rebellion and exuberance that Ray narrates in Filled of Dreams. It's a totally normal part of growing up and figuring out who we are. And yet sometimes the decisions we make out of rebellion or youthful exuberance or inexperience become regrets that we hold on to years later. Okay, first off, uh, let's just name it. No spouse in the history of the world has ever been this supportive. Yeah, honey, you know, I think a voice is telling me to plow over our cash crop so that the ghost of Shoeless Joe Jackson can play baseball with me. Well, dear, if that's what you really feel like you need to do, like, no, I, I would have questions. You would have questions. But let's put that aside for a moment. The regret that Ray is holding on to at the beginning of this film is more about what he perceived his dad did than what he did. And his dad, in Ray's mind, let time slip by without ever really doing anything. By the time he was my age, he was ancient, he says. Ray's terrified that his dad's complacency is going to become Ray's destiny. He seems to resent his father because he's afraid he will become him. But then there's also the regret of Shoeless Joe Jackson. Whatever actually happened in the 1919 World Series, Shoeless Joe Jackson would never play in the major leagues again. He was 32 years old, and he would have had plenty more years ahead of him. So the question of the film really becomes, is it possible to rectify the past? So Ray builds the field, time goes by, the seasons change, they get into financial trouble because of the investment they made in the field and the loss of income from having less corn. And then one night, the seemingly impossible happens. The ghost of Shoeless Joe Jackson emerges from the cornfield and Ray is able to play baseball with him. Not long after, the voice returns and tells Ray to ease his pain. Ray believes the person whose pain he's supposed to ease is Terrence Mann, an author and social activist who was highly influential in the 1960s, but who has dropped out of the public eye and whose books are now considered controversial by certain segments of society. It, it takes some convincing, but after he finally convinces Terrence Mann to attend a baseball game with him, Ray discovers why it is that Terrence has seemingly disappeared from the public eye. I don't believe I'm doing this. If Ray Kinsella is a representation of youthful regret, Terrence Mann is the representation of those of us who have become disillusioned. He was the East Coast distributor of Involved, to use his phrase. He wrote, he spoke, he befriended highly influential leaders and politicians. He sincerely wanted to make a difference in the world, and he believed that he could. And then Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And then Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. And it seemed like all the progress that he'd worked so hard to make was crumbling all around him. At this age, it seems he feels that he has served his time. He had his moment, and in the end, it didn't amount to much. Why keep trying? Why keep pushing? Why keep bleeding yourself dry to make what can look like not one iota of difference in the world? He seems to regret that he broke himself open and he poured himself out for what feels like a completely negligible result. And then he hears the voice, and he sees the words, Moonlight Graham. 
and he doesn't really know what any of that means, and he has no idea what they will find if they travel to Minnesota. But for the first time in many years, he's allowing himself to believe that perhaps more can happen in the world than just what he is able to see in front of him. It's that ability, the ability to believe in possibility, that Terrence's disappointment and regret has robbed him of over the years. And for the first time in a long time, Terrence has the glint of possibility in his eye. So Ray and Terrence travel to Minnesota in a long chunk of the movie. I wish we had time to watch, but the end result is that they end up picking up a young Moonlight Graham to bring him back to the field Ray built in Iowa. Is he a ghost? Is he an apparition? We really aren't sure. But the conversation that Ray and Terrence have on their way back to Iowa is an important one. It's at this point in the film that we understand the deepest source of Ray's regret. He never made amends with his father. Some of us live with the wounds of fractured relationships with our fathers or our mothers for much of our lives. Some of us know exactly what it's like to lose someone before having the chance to repair the relationship. Some of us have longed for reconciliation for years, only to be met with the reality that the other person is unwilling. And whether your life story includes the regret that comes with broken relationships, I can almost assure you that it includes regret for something. One of Jesus' disciples was named Peter. Peter was brash. He was constantly sticking his foot in his mouth. You ever had one of those friends who's so loyal that they'll just stick up for you and be loud about it? And even when you're wrong, what, what? They said, what about you? Well, wait till they meet lightning and thunder, right? Wait till they meet ratchet and clink. Yeah, yeah, Peter was that kind of friend. Well-meaning, but occasionally absurd, which, which made it all the more hurtful that at Jesus' time of greatest need, after he'd been arrested, while he was on trial for what would eventually lead to his execution, Peter abandoned him. On three different occasions, he even denied that he knew Jesus at all. This man he had traveled with, learned from, had sworn his allegiance to for three years. When the chips were down, he turned his back on him. And then Jesus was killed, hung on a cross to die. Peter knew that Jesus knew that Peter had abandoned him, forsaken him, and he didn't get to make things right before Jesus was executed. Can you imagine the feelings of remorse that Peter must have felt? Your friend, your teacher, your Lord, and you betrayed him, denied him. Now there's no chance to reconcile. There's no chance to set it right. This feeling of helplessness to resolve regret seems to be what Ray is feeling in Filled with Dreams. It's a feeling that many of us can relate to. Now, we live in a culture that has some pretty strong beliefs around the concept of regret. Some beliefs operate quietly, they're kind of like background music, but others become loud anthems for a way of living, and few anthems blare more loudly than the doctrine that regret is foolish, that it wastes our time and it sabotages our well-being. From every corner of our culture, this message booms. Forget the past, seize the future, bypass the bitter, savor the sweet. A good life has a forward focus and a positive attitude. Regret messes with all those ideas. It is backward looking and it's unpleasant. It's like a, a blockade to a, our singular focus on happiness. You only have to read a few interviews with highly influential people to see it over and over again. I don't believe in regret, says Angelina Jolie. I don't believe in regret, says Bob Dylan. I don't believe in regret, says John Travolta, and actress Laverne Cox, and motivational speaker Tony Robbins, and headbanging Guns N' Roses guitarist Slash, and probably half the volumes in the self-help section of our local Barnes & Nobles. Like, the U.S. Library of Congress contains more than 50 books in its collection with the title, No Regrets. 
It's embedded in songs, emblazoned on skin, embraced by sages. The anti-regret philosophy is so evidently true that it's more often asserted than argued. Why invite pain when we can avoid it? Why summon rain clouds when we can bathe in the sunny rays of positivity? Why rue what we did yesterday when we could dream of the limitless possibilities of tomorrow? This worldview actually makes intuitive sense. It seems right. It feels convincing. But it has one significant flaw. It is dead wrong. (laughs) The truth is, regret is not dangerous or abnormal or a deviation from the steady path to happiness. It is healthy and universal and a really important part of being human. Regret is also valuable. It clarifies, it instructs, and if done right, it doesn't drag us down. It can lift us up. So, So what Ray is feeling, what the disciple Peter was feeling is regret that stomach-churning feeling that the present would be better and the future would be brighter if only they hadn't chosen so poorly or decided so wrongly or acted so stupidly in the past. But while it's unpleasant, regret can actually lead us to make better decisions in the future and to live more meaningful lives. Regret makes us human, but it can also make us better. Okay, confession time. I mostly included this speech because it's awesome and no one has ever said the word baseball better than James Earl Jones. But it also tips toward an ongoing theme in this movie, the idea that the world can be a better place, that redemption is possible. People will hand over their $20, he says, because it is money they have and peace they lack. Oh, and they long for peace. And Ray longs for peace as well just as we all do. It's part of what makes the ending of this movie so very powerful. Ray's story doesn't end with them living out his days in endless regret, but rather with an opportunity to reconcile the mistakes of his past and live differently moving forward. Similarly, Peter's story doesn't end with him standing at the foot of the cross of Jesus, full of regret as Jesus breathes his last. Now, days after his crucifixion, Jesus rose from the dead and he began appearing to his disciples. At one point, He appears to Peter, and in John chapter 21, we find this interaction beginning with verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then it says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Now, why is Peter hurt by that? Peter is hurt because he recognizes what's happening here. He betrayed Jesus three times, and Jesus is giving him the opportunity to reconcile, to make up for it three times over. But it also reminds Peter, as kind as this is, to to choose reconciliation, it reminds Peter of his betrayal. Like he's so excited to see his Lord and Savior and now that, that old betrayal is just like coming right back to just hit him in the face. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, You will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus said to him, follow me. So three times Peter had denied Jesus. 
So three times Jesus asked Peter if he loves him. Like, this is a pivotal moment in the life of Peter. And and in this particular moment, Jesus is doing everything he can to restore him, to allow him to confront that past regret, but to allow that regret to actually shift him and change him so that his future is different. Now, it's highly unlikely that we'll be able to play catch with the ghost of our father or that the person we betrayed will raise from the dead to accept our apology. So if we can't do what Peter did and we can't do what Ray did, like, what do we do with our regret? How is it helpful? Well, the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders in the early church, had tons of regrets. This guy had been responsible for persecuting and executing Christians before he became a Christian himself. Can you imagine the realization that not only were you wrong about who Jesus was, but you actually had helped with the imprisoning and the execution of those who should have been your fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus. I mean, that guy, who should have been living with so much regret, wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He said, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. See, Paul didn't understand regret the way that our culture does. He didn't live by a no regrets anthem. Rather, regret had already done its job in Paul, and he no longer had any use for it. Forgetting what is behind, he writes in Philippians 3, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, regret has a purpose, but that doesn't mean we have to cling tightly to our regrets for all of our lives. Godly regret is like a chrysalis. It enables us to leave behind the wriggling larva of our prior mistakes, to grow the bright wings of repentance, and, and so to fly upwards toward a new way of living. It's not meant to be carried with us, but to be discarded once its purpose has been met. Many of us have heard someone tell us that Jesus can give us a better future, but do we realize that he can also give us a better past? Think back over your history, your regrets, your sorrows, all the things you did or did not do, all those choices made in cowardice or carelessness, selfishness or foolishness, whether through oversight, ignorance, or just sin, our propensity to make a mess of things and to break things, If we enter into godly sorrow, we can actually ask for God's forgiveness for the mistakes we made and for his wisdom that we might learn from them. See, in this way, even our mistakes can be used by God to help us live better lives going forward. So yes, regret is painful. Its very purpose is to make us feel worse because by making us feel worse today, regret helps us do better tomorrow. So if there is repenting to be done, let us repent. If apologies need to be made, let us apologize. If it's possible to reconcile, seek reconciliation, but then set the chrysalis aside. Look up and recognize the regret you felt from your mistakes may be the very thing that allows you to recognize this truth. Your future is not held hostage by your past because nothing in your past, present, or future can separate you from the love of Christ. Feel his fierce embrace within which no worldly regret can draw breath. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we all have regrets. We have pieces of our past that we are not proud of. And God, my hope is that we will have a godly sorrow about that so that that regret can lead us to a place of repentance and a place of choosing to live in a different way than we once did. God, may our regrets actually make us better. And then once they do, may we set them aside and no longer dwell on them because you have set us free from our past. Thank you for that gift. It's amazing and may we share it with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Inland Hills Church Weekly Messages podcast. To learn more about Inland Hills, including info about our church ministries and ways to get involved, visit inlandhills.com. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure you subscribe and leave a review so others can find our messages of hope and encouragement. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next week.